As we walk out the journey of life, we each begin to thirst for something more. We want more than just life the way we know it. It's a thirst for more peace, more fulfillment, more purpose. That was God's plan all along. Since the ancient times, he has made promises that he will quench that thirst. And the promises he made long ago are the same promises he has made for us today. So we're all going to have picnics and barbecues and all that good stuff. But let's, let, let's take a moment this morning and remember what Memorial Day weekend is really all about. If you are an active or formerly active member of any branch of U.S. military, Army, Navy, Marine Corps, Air Force, Coast Guard. Am I leaving any out? Uh, would you just real quick, I know we have a few that attend our church. Would you stand up just really fast? I know, where's Eddie at? He may be the only one this morning. Uh, yeah, can we? Hey, let's let him know. Thank you. Come on, church. You can do better. Thank you. And, uh, you know, my wife and I were talking about it yesterday and we were like, and, and, you know, there's that debate going on. It's a day to remember. Should we really, should we really do picnics and barbecues and all that kind of thing? And I think absolutely what better way to honor the memory of those who fought for freedom than to spend a day celebrating freedom, doing what we can only do freely in our country because of what those guys and ladies did for us. And, uh, and so, man, it's going to be a great day tomorrow. So take some time today, pray for, uh, our, our military men and women who are serving around the world, pray for families who've lost a loved one or had a loved one injured, and uh, let's remember them this weekend and, uh, and make sure we honor them every chance we possibly get. Come on, are you with me, True Life? We're all about honor here. We want to honor people every opportunity we get. And, um, and then tomorrow, it's going to be a really fun day. We have our annual Memorial Day picnic together as a church family, and uh, you are invited. If you didn't know about it, you are officially invited. We would love for you to come hang out with us. Kicks off at 11 a.m. Tomorrow, inflatable stuff for the kids, volleyball, frisbee, uh, horseshoes. Um, heard Trent Hurley's coming, so I might have to get a football out and, and take somebody to school. You know what I'm saying? Um, pastor versus quarterback. I got a bad knee, though, so probably not fair. Um <laughs> Now, it really is going to be a fun day. Here's how it works. The church is providing hamburgers, hot dogs, buns, condiments, all that kind of stuff. Uh, the one and only Eddie Pulley Blank will be there grilling it up on the grill, taking care of y'all. And um, so here's what we ask you to do. We ask you to show up and uh, bring a side dish or dessert and, uh, and just bring enough for your family plus one or two more people to have some there to share. And uh, listen, you, you don't have to be all, people get all wor- weird about, I don't have a good recipe. Or I don't, but it, just go to ShopRite or go to Acme and go to the prepackaged section of the deli, get some cookies or get a big thing of potato salad and, and, uh, and bring it. That, that's totally, f- if you're really nervous about it, take it out of your dish, put it, take it out of that dish, put it in one of your dishes, cover it in foil. And if anybody asks, tell them it's a family secret recipe. Nobody will know. Nobody will know the difference. Just just get there. Enjoy the day with us. It's going to be really fun. We are going to ask you to do one thing because we're expecting a little bit more people than last year. So especially if you don't arrive early or right on time, parking will become an issue. 
early on. So when you head down Old Field Point Road into Elkton to get to the Austin residence where we hold the picnic, beautiful piece of property. And can we give them some love this morning for giving up their property? And uh, I, they actually said to me one time a couple of years ago, they, they said, man, our house is our ministry. We believe God gave it to us, and that's, that's what we, we want to use it however we can. And, uh, you know, sometimes you talk with people, and everybody has their little spiritual thing that they say. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, whatever. But there is literally people in that house every day, every day. It's opened up uh, to people, a lot of them from our church, and there's ministry happening in that home all the time. So um, thank you guys so much for doing that. And uh, so as you come down Old Field Point Road, before you turn on Tomax Lane, which is the where their property is, if you go just a little bit further is an elementary school, and we will have a shuttle running from the elementary school back to the picnic um, so that when parking becomes an issue, you have a place to get to. So when you get, especially if you get there after like 1130 or or 12, parking will probably already be a big issue at that point. So um, head on down to the school. And uh, if you don't see the bus going back and forth, you can, you can walk it out, get some exercise, or you can call or text somebody. We'll get somebody over there to get you. All right. Um, And it's going to be a lot of fun. Looking forward to it. Would you help me this morning welcome any of our first-time guests who are hanging out with us? We're so glad that you are here. Thanks for coming. So real quick, let me catch you up on this series that we've been in called Four Cups. We've got just a couple weeks left this week and next week. We'll wrap up the series. Uh, then we have a guest speaker who will be here on June 8th, uh, which also happens to be my wife's birthday. Hint, hint. I'm just saying... Just, just help me score some points, all right? Uh, my, my daughter tells me I score dad points all the time. She's like, oh, dad, you fixed me breakfast. You get 1,000 dad points. I'm like, cool. When can I, can I cash those in on anything? No, you just get points. Okay. Thank you. <clears throat> I'm up to like 10 billion right now. I don't know what to do with them. but um, So my wife's, I'm just saying my wife's birthday, June 8th. Just saying. Just saying. Um, anyway. Uh, we'll have a guest speaker that week. And then immediately following that, we're going to jump into a brand new series where we're going to work through the book of Philippians together, talk about the joy of the Lord for several weeks. And, uh, and then I've really been praying about, um, the second half of the summer, we're going to spend some time, you know, last week we talked about how we have authority over the enemy because of what Jesus Christ did for us. We have authority over the enemy. A lot of us don't really understand what that means. And the idea of spiritual warfare gets kind of weird and spooky for a lot of people. It's actually not. And so we're going to spend some time this summer talking about, spiritual warfare and how we take authority over the enemy and uh, come on how many know like like to know how to respond when the enemy attacks your mind with some lies and and uh, things in your life aren't going the way you think they ought to go and uh, so we're going to do that and so you know now i know what some of you are thinking because in the past we have done a series called summer at the movies where we do movies on the screen and we somehow bring the bible to life in that and we give you free popcorn and soda and uh, so I know that, like, y'all would kill me if we did away with that series. I know it's not allowed. It's just because you want popcorn. I don't think you even care about the series. You just want the popcorn. It's the most distracting time to preach ever. Open up your Bible. <laughs> Somebody's choking in the back. Heimlich going on over here. So I, especially since this is one of the last weekends that we'll have some of the students who attend our church, I just wanted to ask, how would y'all feel about us waiting till y'all come back in the fall and we do at the movies in the fall? Would y'all be okay with that? Good with that? Does you... Do you want the series? Do we do at the movies ever again? 
Okay. All right. So, so that's, uh, what, what was that? <laughs> so, uh, some of you are like, don't preach, just show a movie. I can bring my friends to that. That doesn't work. All right. So, uh, let's get into four cups. We'll do that. We'll do, uh, at the movies in the fall. We've been kind of thinking about it anyway. Um, the only person it affects is Kevin because he has to make a new logo. All right. So every year during Passover, the Jewish people get together and they celebrate the four I wills. This has kind of been the basis for this series that we've been in. Four core promises that I believe all of the promises of God, all the promises of Scripture actually connect back to and still apply to your life today. So they get together and they celebrate. They read those four I wills. They drink a cup of wine with each of the four, talk about them and celebrate them. That's where we get the name of this series, Four Cups. If you haven't been able to be a part of the series, all of the messages are on our website or on our podcast. And there's a great book written by Pastor Chris Hodges of the, from the same title, Four Cups. You can get it anywhere that you can get books. You can get it on our website if you want to. We don't really make any money off of that. 4% is what we make. We partnered up with Amazon. And so we have a storefront there where you can Go by the book, truelife.tv forward slash store. But you can get it anywhere. doesn't matter where you get it. And I strongly encourage you, go read the book. And actually, these four promises, these four cups, are the same four things that we try to structure our church life around. We really only do four things in our church. Sunday services, small groups, life track, and life team. And they really all, each one connects to a core promise. Sunday mornings connects to the first cup which is about salvation. And this is the primary opportunity we have to bring people who don't have a relationship with Jesus, get them connected to Jesus and drink from the first cup of salvation. We do this thing called small groups, which is an incredible opportunity for us to get together. Like we talked about last week, change our associations because we go to God for forgiveness. We go to God's people for healing. And I had somebody say, well, don't you, how, how does that work? How do you get deliverance by going to God's people. Don't you need to, isn't it the Bible? Don't you need to pray more? Read your Bible. So here's, and I'm not trying to be sarcastic, but I am. What do you think happens when you hang out with God's people? You pray more together. You encourage each other in God's word. So yeah, of course, those things are all connected, but we take advantage of that by changing our associations, changing our relationships. All right. So uh, then the third cup, is all about getting restored, finding restoration. We have a process for that. It's called Life Track, and we're going to talk about that more today. And then the fourth cup is about the cup of praise. It's about getting connected to a team, a family of people, and, and serving something that's eternal and that lasts forever. We think that's where fulfillment really happens. And so around here, we have a thing called Life Team. And you all should give it up for them. They're the people who make this service happen every single week. They set up the stage and the sound system and the worship team and the people who are serving our kids right now. You know, some of those people who serve our kids, they they don't even know what a service is like in here. They listen to the podcast every week because they're so committed. I actually hung out with Kristen Brownlee a couple weeks ago, and she said this to me. I can't think of anything I could do that would have more impact than serving children. And I thought, man, thank God you're where you are. Because uh, some people serve kids because they just think somebody's got to do it, might as well be me. But thank God we have somebody who understands the impact that we can have on kids. Because I know a lot of kids that, including myself, grew up hating church. Like I was trying to do anything I could to make sure we missed. <coughs> I don't feel good, Mom. <coughs> it's Sunday. <coughs> can I go outside and play now that we're home from church? You know what I'm saying? And, and so we want to make sure that doesn't happen here, and it's all our life team. Who's a part of that. All right. 
So that is uh, that is the background on the series that we're in. We're figuring out which cups you've already drank from and which ones you're a candidate to still drink from. Most people don't really understand how much more there is for you after salvation. So let's refresh on the four promises. We find them in Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. It says, therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will. Come on, say, I will. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. There's the first cup, the first promise. Then he says, I will free you. Here's the cup of deliverance from being slaves to them. And we've talked about this over the last several weeks. Let me just say it again. We think that sounds the same. I'll bring you out of Egypt and I'll free you. But what God was actually doing is he had to get the Israelites out of Egypt. And then he had to get the Egypt out of the Israelites because they didn't understand how to stop living like slaves. And each and every one of us before salvation, we are slaves to something and we receive christ and many of us don't know how to stop being slaves to the habits to the sin to the things in our lives and that's what the cup of deliverance is really about it's about getting freedom from your past life when we talked about that last week encourage you to listen to it if you weren't here and then he says and i will redeem you this is the one we're going to talk about today the word redeem actually means to just get it back to the original purpose that he had for it with an outstretched arm and a mighty acts of judgment. And I will take you as my own people. That's the fourth I will. Notice the difference. It goes from an individual to people. God always restores us to a people, not a person. And I will be your God. Then you'll know that I'm the Lord your God. Who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And here's the underlying theme of the whole series. Is that I believe until you're drinking from all four cups. Until your life is attached to all four promises that God has for you. You can't really truly know who God is and all that he has for you. You can, you can taste, you can, you can get little pieces, but if you don't have all four promises in your life happening, so let's just review them real quick. When we really understand what God has for us, who would ever want to say no to that? Here they are in your notes. The cup of sanctification represents salvation, salvation, getting into a relationship with Jesus. The second one, the cup of deliverance represents freedom in our lives. God, come on, how many know God wants you free? Hello, testing, testing. How many know God wants you free? Not living under guilt, not living in condemnation, not living in shame. God is not interested in what you did yesterday. He's interested in what he can do in you today. Doesn't matter what you did last night or last year or 10 years ago. The third one, the cup of redemption is restoration, represents restoration. Think, and this is the one we're going to camp out on today, and here's kind of how I want you to think about it. Think about that old car that, that, uh, that you have, that, that classic car that's beautiful, and everybody goes, ooh, look at that. Listen to that Mustang purr, and then you let your teenage daughter drive it. What are you all talking about? Did that happen? Did something happen? If you don't know, I won't go there. All right. And then. <laughs> it's okay, Riley. I love you. All right. So so my friend David has this beautiful Mustang. And, and it got a scratch on it. And. Um, so he's got the opportunity now to restore that car back to its original purpose. How, how many, <laughs> I, I like the Mecham Auto Auctions. Everybody ever watch that? And you see all these classic cars. That, and some of the stories are incredible. This guy found it in a junkyard. And, 
and restored. And guess, look, look at what happens when you take that old thing that looks like a piece of junk, a heap of metal in a junkyard. You restore it back to its original purpose. And what happens is it becomes priceless. And that's what we're going to talk about today, that when God restores you, you become his masterpiece, his, his workmanship, your life becomes priceless. It's awesome. And then the cup of praise is the last one represents fulfillment, fulfillment. And I think every single one of us ought to live a life that's fulfilling. Don't confuse fulfillment with happiness. Living a fulfilling life doesn't mean there will be no challenges. It doesn't mean there will be no disappointment. It doesn't mean there will be no sadness. It means that in the midst of your disappointment, in the midst of your sadness, you can lay your head on the pillow and go, you know what? It's all right. I've got Jesus in my life. He's working through me. I'm drinking from all four cups. This day is going to pass and I'm going to see the blessing on the other side. I'm going to see the miracle. Come on, somebody. That's what living the fulfilling life is really all about. All right. So there's a statistic that concerns me. I've said it every week. Today I'm going to camp out on it a little bit. The 80%, 87% of Christians say that they've never made it to this third cup. They've never drank from the cup of redemption, the cup of restoration. In other words, the survey actually said to Christians all over the country, Do you really know what your purpose is? Do you know what God made you for? And 87% said, I have no idea. I'm saved. I love Jesus. I might even attend church somewhat regularly, but I'm really not sure what God. In fact, surveys of of people who attend church asking, "What, what do you want your church to teach on more than anything? And by far the thing that comes back the most often is, teach me what I'm here to do. Help me find purpose in my life. Tell me what I'm supposed to do with my life. And so God wants to get us back on track, not with your plan, because that's, that's the issue, really. That's why a lot of us don't know what God wants to do with our life is because we're kind of too busy doing our own plan. And we got to stop for a second and submit our will to his. But God does want to get you back on track for the plan that he's always had for your life. The Bible says that before You were even formed in your mother's womb. He had a plan for you. You didn't show up and then he made the plan. The plan existed before you showed up. That ought to help somebody right there. So this is going to set us up for next week even, which will lead you to a fulfilled life. Not a perfect life, but a fulfilled life. So let's answer the question, why do so few drink from this cup? Why are 87% of people who love Jesus not sure what he wants to do with their lives. Let's look at Exodus 6, 6 again, this portion of it. It says, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. You might think, so God's going to judge me? No, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you what that means, what that outstretched arm and mighty acts of judgment actually mean for you. First, let's talk about what it means to redeem. Let's talk about redemption. And I love this with the Webster's dictionary. And here are the definitions of the word redeem. You might get a couple little goosebumps when you hear this, when you think about what Jesus did for you on the cross. Here's the first definition, to buy back or to repurchase. To buy back or to repurchase. Remember I said you were born with a perfect plan for your life. But listen, all of us, before we get into a walk with God, before we get into a relationship with God, all of us, became owned by something else. The Bible says that all of us were born sinners. All of us have gone astray. All of us have broken God's laws. Every single one of us. 
all of us end up owned by someone or something else. And I like to think of it this way. So God shows up at the garage sale or the flea market and says, how much for that thing right there that kind of looks like a piece of junk? And the owner says, it'll cost you everything. And God says, I'll take it. I'll send my son. He'll die. I'll, I'll take it. Looks like a mess. Doesn't look like it has any value at all. I'll take it. All right, here's the second definition. To change for the better, to reform. Don't get excited, Calvinists. That's not where I'm going. To change for the better or to reform. Too many of us have set our goals a little bit too low. You know, I think a lot of us actually define a good life as a life where no bad happens. Can I tell you that that's not, that's not what God wants for you. God isn't looking for you to just have a life where there's as little bad as possible. That's, that's really how a lot of us judge it, right? Okay, life is good if I have as little bad, as little disappointment as possible. But what God wants for you is a great and fulfilling life. Come on, somebody. Here's the third definition, to repair or restore. Just like I said, that junky old car that someone finds and restores back to the way it was before it hit a tree. And after restoration is completed, that car becomes priceless. I don't know why y'all are laughing. Did somebody hit a tree in our church? Somebody hit... <laughs> so really, <laughs> so really, why do f- so few drink from this cup? Why are 87% of us saying, I don't know why I'm here. Exodus 6, 6, again, I'll redeem you with an outstretched arm. And with mighty acts of judgment. Let me ask a question. Why does God need to stretch out his arm? It's simply because most of us are kind of in a deep place. And when you get to that point, you don't see yourself the way God sees you. And if you're going to drink from the cup of redemption, if you're going to have complete restoration in your life, if you're going to get your life back on track, and follow the plan that God really had for you all along, you're going to have to figure out how to start seeing yourself the way God sees you. God doesn't see the mistakes. God doesn't see the guilt. God doesn't see the shame. In fact, the Bible makes very clear that the only one who accuses us of anything like that is the enemy of our soul, Satan. He's the accuser of the brethren. That's why I get really frustrated when Christians start fighting with each other and accusing each other of things. Because you're not taking on the character of God. You're taking on the character of the enemy. Stop that. Don't do that. All of us have some closet skeleton. All of us have some closets in the skeleton. I don't know how that would work. All of us have some skeletons in the closet. All of us have a past. All of us have a history. All of us have some things we're not proud of. Guess what? God doesn't even see any of it. All he sees is what he wants to accomplish in your life through redemption. So I think there's two things that keep us from drinking from the cup. Here's the first one. It's inferiority. Inferiority. Many of us kind of have this inferiority complex, especially when it comes to the things of God. I'm not good enough. You don't know how, how bad the mistakes are in my life. You don't know how our family looks fine on Sunday. You don't know how bad it really is at home. I talked about that last week. That was my house. We were, man, 
we all could win a, an Emmy or an Oscar on Sunday. And by Sunday night, things we bought more universal remotes in our house. Not because they wouldn't work, because they all got thrown against the wall and broken. I mean, we probably single-handedly kept that industry alive in our house with all the fighting. Lots of plates and dishes. It's funny now, but it wasn't funny back then. I actually, at one time, I remember, and some of you are going to be like, oh, you feel, I feel so bad for you. Don't. God's redeemed and he's restored it. But it's funny. It really is funny to me now. My dad just had a horrible temper. And one time I backtalked at the table, and he just flipped a fork across the table. And I had four perfect holes in my, four perfect holes in my forehead. I didn't talk back the rest of that night. We have an inferiority issue. We need to understand, check, I better get an amen right here. God sees greatness in you that you don't see in yourself. Thank you. Glad I set it up for myself. (laughs) Psalm 1835 says, you have also given me the shield of your salvation and your right hand upholds me. Check this out. This is David talking. He says, and your gentleness makes me mediocre. No. Your gentleness makes me great, great. Hey, listen, it's okay to understand that God is making you great. It's not prideful. It's not arrogant. It's okay to have a little bit of confidence in who God is and what he's doing through you. Come on, somebody. Stop walking around being all, I'm just a, just a little Christian. Don't hurt me. Yeah. Can we have a small group with just Christians? I'm scared of everyone else. Stop it. You're not inferior. The Bible says you're the head, not the tail. Come on, somebody. Too many of us still see our lives through the rearview mirror. We let our past plague us. I remember coming out of some years in ministry that for me were very, very tough. And thinking to myself, I'm done. I've had enough of this. God, I'm a failure. I, I thought, God, I'm a failure. I remember thinking, God, oh, is this, this is really what you had planned for me, God? To like put all these great dreams in my heart and then, and then just let me fall flat on my face? Is this, is this it? Is this really it? I'm done. God, you can't use me anymore. And I let condemnation begin to creep in. But you know, I'm thankful. Everybody loves John 3, 16. God's love the world. That he gave us, that whosoever, everybody reads a different translation. They're like, eternal life. You know what verse 17 says? It says that Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. Man, we ought to quote that one as often as we quote verse 16. So get the condemnation off your life. The enemy condemns. Remember, I don't know if you remember when Corey Hardesty was here. He, he shared this story of a, I'll, I'll just share it. Just hopefully I don't mess it up. Maybe you weren't here. If you were, laugh anyway. There's a guy, he walks into a pet store and he's walking around looking at the pets and there's a parrot in the back and, and the parrot says, hey, hey, you. The guy looks up, me? Yeah, you, come here. So he walks over to the parrot. Looks at him, he says, you're the ugliest thing I've ever seen in my life. The guy was shocked. 
he walked back to the front of the store. He went to the owner. He said, hey, man, your, your bird just insulted me. Just told me I was the ugliest thing he'd ever seen in his life. The owner said, man, I'm, I'm so sorry. I, I apologize. He walked back there, pulled the parrot out, slapped him around, pulled a few feathers out, stuck him back. And he said, don't talk to my customers that way. A couple days later, the guy, some of y'all are like ready to call Peter right now. You're like, can't do that to a parrot. Guy comes back a few days later. He's walking around again, shopping, looking for things, hoping he has a better experience. All of a sudden, he hears the parrot. Hey, hey, you. He looks up, says, me again? He says, yeah, come here. He walks over, leans down to the parrot in the cage. The parrot looks at him. He says, you know. <laughs> Listen, how, how, that's what the enemy does to us. The enemy is constantly in our minds planting that seed, planting that thought. Hey, hey, you know. You know what you you know what you were. You know the mistakes you made. You know it's your past. You know, you know, you know. But I'm so thankful that God has set us free from that. Some of us today, you came in, you tried to worship, and it was hard to sing the songs and lift your hands because the enemies, you can't worship God. You know. You know. But I love Ephesians 2.10. That says, in spite of all of that, for we are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Next time the parrot says, you know, you say, yeah, I know. I'm his masterpiece. May not be perfect yet. May still be working on me. But I'm not what you think I am, Satan. I'm going to start to see myself the way. He sees me. If you want to get aligned with God, become great at seeing people the way God sees them, not how you see them. You can't get to cup four until you can start seeing yourself the way God sees you. You can't live a life of fulfillment until you start seeing yourself the way God sees you. It says he redeems us with mighty acts of judgment. What does that mean? Is he going to judge me? No. What he's actually talking about is he's going to judge the enemy on your behalf. Come on, somebody. Did you catch that? (laughs) Thank you, Chloe, from the back of the room. By the way, if you like Chloe's energy, she's starting a new team, handling all of our audiovisual lighting stuff, all the production pieces on Sunday morning. You should join her team. Tell you how to do that in just a little bit. (laughs) She's advertising life track back there. Don't get distracted. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. All right. It says he redeems us with mighty acts of judgment. He's judging the enemy on your behalf. He's coming against the enemy for you. The devil wants to keep you from drinking from this cup, and he has an alternate plan for your life. And here's the second thing that keeps us from drinking from this cup. The first one's inferiority. The second one is diversion. Diversion. And most of us have experienced a diversion in our lives. God wants, check it out, God has a plan for your life. The enemy also has a plan for your life. You know what it means for God to judge, with, to, to come down with mighty acts of judgment against the enemy on your behalf? Is he is going to cancel out the enemy's plan for your life. He's going to cross it off the list and make sure that his plan is the only one there is. 1 Thessalonians 2.18, we wanted very much to come to you. This is Paul writing. And I, Paul, tried again and again, but Satan prevented us and in the greek he's saying hey we wanted to come visit you guys thessalonians but it's like the enemy kept messing with us and the actual translation here reads he kept putting ditches in our path that we couldn't get over 
We couldn't get past it. I don't know about you, but there have been some seasons in my life where I'm cruising along and it feels like God is working and things are going well. And out of nowhere, man, a ditch in my path. And listen, we have a choice when we come up against those things that the enemy puts in the way. We can either try to find the long way around and figure it out ourselves, or we can start believing what the Bible says when it says we're more than overcomers. Come on, somebody. That if God is for us, who can be against us? Just let Jesus pick you up and carry you over that ditch every once in a while. Look at the miracles that will start to happen. It literally means the enemy puts something in the path to try to stop you. Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes everything. Say everything. That thing you're going through right now. It's a part of the everything. It's included in the everything. God causes everything. Because some of us think just some things. But it's everything to work together for the good of those who love God. And are called according to his purpose for them. Romans eleven twenty nine. I love the way the message says this. God's gifts and God's call are under full warranty. Never canceled. Never rescinded. Do you know what that means? His plan for your life. It's under full warranty. It doesn't matter what you did. It doesn't matter who you were in the past. God says, if you'll just come to me, I'm going to redeem you back to that priceless version of your life that I originally had planned for you. And it's never canceled. It's never canceled. It's always available. Come on. Somebody ought to thank God for that this morning. God has never changed his mind about you. No matter what. People will. People will change their mind about you. But God never does. God never does. So how do I drink from the cup of redemption? How do I get past the inferiority and the diversions? And I think there's one way really primarily that this happens. And you're going to have to get comfortable with this term. It's called spiritual gift. Spiritual gift. What is he talking about? I'm going to show you. Romans 12, 6. In his grace... God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. Now, when you read that verse, Romans 12, 6, in his grace, the word grace in the Greek is a word called charis, C-H-A-R-R-I-S, charis. From that word, we get another word that kind of freaks some people out called charismatic. Now, that word's been twisted and messed with to mean a whole bunch of different things that it was never supposed to mean. But here's what what it actually means. All it means is you have a grace or a gifting to do something specific with your life for God. Did you catch that? In his grace, charis, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. In other words, God has put a grace on your life to do something that really only you can do quite the way he wants you to do it. Each of us have it in our life. For example, being on this stage this morning is actually pretty easy for me. It's not because I think I'm the world's best speaker. I really don't. I get nervous in prep. What you guys may not know is I literally write almost every word that I'm going to say just in case I get nervous. I can just stand here and read. I usually don't. Why? Because God has given me a grace for this. 
He's put a grace on my life for communicating his word. Now, my wife, she wouldn't want to do this. She doesn't have the same grace on her life. In this season of her life, there is not a grace on her to stand up here and preach. It's not that she's not capable. It's not that she couldn't be a great preacher. It's just not flowing in her, right? It's not what God wants to do in her. But you watched her up here leading worship this morning. It's undeniable there's a grace on my wife's life to lead people into God's presence through worship. Come on, are you tracking with me? We have a guy on our team named Jeff sitting right down here. You know what Jeff has? He has an incredible grace on his life to create financial strategies and financial plans to manage budgets and to make sure that we don't bounce checks as a church. (laughs) Amen. There's a grace on his... we had musicians all across the stage this morning. Why are they so good at their gift? Why are they so good at their craft? Because there's a grace on their lives right now for that. Some of us have a grace on our life to be incredible businessmen or businesswomen. Some of us have a grace on our life to be generous. Some of us have a grace on our life to be hospitable. There was a team of people that greeted you when you came in today, and they're all super high energy, and you're going, what is wrong with you? And it's not that they had too much caffeine. It's, that's the grace that God has put on their life to create energy and excitement and make people feel welcome when they show up at church. There's a grace. See what I'm saying? There's a grace on somebody's life for that. That's what it means. We have people who have grace for kids. They're over there serving. Can I just be honest with you? Like, I don't. I have grace for my kids. I don't have grace for your kids. I love my kids. I, I love yours some. I love spending time with my kids. I love it when you spend time with your kids. You know what I'm saying? I just, I don't have a, but there are people who do. There are people who have a grace for surrounding themselves with children. There are people who have a grace for sitting in a nursery and holding babies and changing diapers and they love it. I don't understand that. There's a team of people that they have a grace in them to show up early and they love hanging out with each other and they set up stage and sound equipment and then they tear it down and they put it in a trailer and they actually like look forward to it. I, that we, that's a helps and craftsmanship when we do a spiritual gifts profile. I'll get to that in a second. Like those both rank dead last for me. So, man, there's, and that's why we're referred to as the body of Christ. Some play music, some help the poor, some love to make coffee, some love to greet. What is that? It's your grace enabled gift. And here's what I know about every single person in this room. I don't know what your gift is, but I know you have one. I know you have one. 1 Corinthians 14, 1. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire what? Gifts of the Spirit. By the way, just so you don't think I'm taking that scripture out of context, it's Paul. He's saying you should eagerly desire gifts. He goes on to say, because some of us have been in different circles, there was an issue here with the Corinthian church. They really love the gift of speaking in tongues. And this is my paraphrase version, but he was saying, hey, Knock it off. Y'all are freaking everybody out. He said, I, I wish everybody could speak in tongues, but when you speak in tongues, you don't edify the body, you edify yourself because it's only your spirit and God that really know what's going on there. He said, if you really, if, I, if everybody were to have a gift in the church that would edify the church, what I wish is you all had is prophecy because it comes in alignment with the Holy Spirit who's convincing people of their need for a savior. And I wish everybody had some of that. 
But he says, everybody, we should desire the gifts. That was free. That wasn't in my notes. So again, 87% never pursue or find out what their gift is. And I think the most fun thing that happens here is when we see someone find their gift. It's so much fun. It's so much fun. I sat down with a, a girl named Melissa a couple months ago, myself and Kristen Brownlee, our kids director, and she also teaches 301 in our life track, which is all about finding your gift. And we sat down with her. And she said, I think I figured it out. Here's my gift, special needs, my heart. I'm just passionate about special needs. We got to create a way for kids and families who have special needs to be able to come to our church and find friends, find God, find life like everybody else. And guess what? She's doing it. We're developing a team around there. There, there are families that are able to come to church now who couldn't go to church before. They couldn't find a church where they could bring a kid who had autism because nobody knew how to handle them and they couldn't put them in the same class without some special supervision. And guess what? It's happening. It's happening right now, right now. In the other side of the building, it's happening because somebody found their charis, found their gift, found the thing that God has put in their life to do. So how do we do that? How do we make sure that it, that 87% number goes away? We've got to graduate from just surviving your problems to knowing why you're here and how you can make a difference and it will change your life. How? Number one, discover your gift. It's in your notes. Write it down. Discover your gift. Let me say it this way. Come to grips with how God made you. Stop trying to be somebody else. Be you. God wired you up the way. So it's okay for me to have my bad temper. No, that's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. But there's some giftings in your life. Yes, there are some things for you to work on, but there are some giftings in your life that are unique to you, and you need to discover what they are. That's why 87% say, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, because they never went through a plan or a purpose. Andy Stanley talks about the principle of the path. A lot of us have a goal for our lives out in front of us that we want to get to someday, but we're going to get down the road and realize that we never got close to that. And the reason is the path we were traveling didn't take us to the thing we wanted to go to. So you've got to discover what your gift is. Come to grips with how God made you. And I think your design reveals your destiny. That's not in your notes, but I think you should write it down. Your design reveals your destiny. God had something for you to do first. Then he made you. Psalm 139, 13 and 14. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Some of you thought that was a curse, that you were so complex. You should be thanking God for it. This is David. He says, your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. How incredible that contrasts with the way most of us think about ourselves today. I mean, most of us wake up going, oh. But David's going, thank you, God, for making me me. I, he had a revelation. He goes, I get it now. You designed me this way. You wired me up. And what it frees you up to do in your life is to say this. I'm not everything, but I am fill in the blank with whatever it is he's gifted you to do. I'm not everything, but I am called to work with children i'm not everything but i can greet better than anybody else i'm not everything but i can make a cup of coffee you know what i'm saying press the button on the keurig that's what i'm talking about i'm not everything but god gave me a gift to lead people in worship god gave me a gift to play an instrument 
God gave me an able body and strength and a, a love for helping and being behind the scenes. And so I'm not everything, but I am this. And we have a process for you on this cup. It's called Life Track. The key to it all is God. And I just want to, just real quick, I just want to touch on something I said last week. I got on a little rant about how much time in our culture today, we have people who will they'll spend 10 years in higher learning, higher education, racking up debt that they'll never pay off. Now, I just want to be very clear. College and universities and degrees and master's degrees and doctorates, they are the right path for some people. But our culture makes it out like there's something wrong with you if you don't choose that path. And we have way too, this is this is what bugs me, all right? We have way too many people who will spend five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years enrolling in class, after getting degree after degree after degree. And the core problem is this. I don't know why I'm here. And it just, it's a pet peeve for me. That you'll go $100,000 of debt and spend 10 years in school trying to figure out why you're here when we'll do it for an hour, for free in an hour and a half. It just bugs me. Because the key isn't something you're going to learn in a classroom. The key is God. And what he's, he's designed you to do. I hate when I get so fired up I'm tongue-tied. 200000 that's what I put in my notes. People will spend 20 years in school and $200,000 trying to figure out what their purpose is, and we do it for free in less than two hours. Speaking of less than two hours, I need to wrap this up. All right, Ephesians 1.11. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us. Come on, somebody. Had designs on us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose, he is working out in everything and everyone. Colossians 1.16, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Purpose can only be found in God. You've got to find your gift. Find it. Discover it. Here's the second thing you need to do. Develop your gift. Why? Because when you find it, it's probably not perfect yet. When I first met Kevin, he was a pretty good guitar player two years ago. He's an exceptional musician now. When we met Dan a couple of years ago, he was a pretty good singer. He's an exceptional worship leader now. There's, see the difference? When I met Todd, he, he was disconnected, relationally alone, had no idea how to get involved in the life of a church and do something. Now he's exceptional at creating content that goes on our screen and in the version app that you guys use every week to follow along. Why? Found his gift. Found his gift. And I think this is actually the real job of the church, is to help you discover and develop your gift. Ephesians 4, 7. And verses 11 and 12. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. That's the five-fold ministry. To equip his people. Listen, here's my job description right here. This is what the Bible says I'm supposed to do. Preach cute messages every week. That's a bonus. To equip his people for works of service. That's it. 
It's my job. To equip his people for works of service. My job is to create an environment where you can figure out what God wants to do with you and make it easy for you to do it. That's it. That's what our whole team is about. That's what our, when it really, what it really comes down to, our entire lead team, that's really what we're trying to do. Create an environment where people can figure out what God wants to do with them and make it easy for them to do it. And that's why we have Life Track. It happens in four steps. I just want to tell you what they are in case you haven't ever heard about this. You can come tonight if you want to at six o'clock, meet all of the leaders who lead different teams in our church. There'll probably be some leftover pizza there. Sometimes cake. True Life 101, first Sunday of every month. That's where we just talk through what it looks like to connect with this as your church family. We don't do membership here. We do partnership. You don't sign a card. We don't do any of that. We just talk through what it means to be a part of the life and family of our church. Second Sunday of every month, Life Tools 201. We help you develop habits that will help you get close to God on your own. What if you're supposed to get close to God outside of Sunday morning? Crazy thought. Third Sunday of every month, My Life 301. It's all about finding your gift, what we're talking about right now. And I just got to say, I think it's the most fun out of all of the sessions that we do. Because every single time that I... I haven't done it in a while. Kristen does it now. But every single time I've seen people go through this process, there's kind of like this, what? Whoa. No wonder I was always angry working in the nursery at my last church. It's, I don't, I hate babies. There it is. It says, it says that in the thing. You hate babies. No, I'm just kidding. It doesn't. But what people find out is, man, I'm not gifted for that. No wonder I hated that. No wonder the last church would never schedule me on the worship team. I can't sing. I was getting mad thinking I should be up there. I went home and recorded myself. I should not be up there. It's okay. You're not that, but you're something. You just got to figure out what your something is. That's what 301 is for. Fourth Sunday of every month is what we'll do tonight. It's where we connect you with the teams in our church that already have things happening in those areas of your gifting and give you an opportunity to try it out. It's not an assignment for the rest of your life. You might try it and not like it. You might have two or three giftings when you go through the process and you go, okay, well, I'm just going to have to try a few things and see which one really kind of gets me fired up. And then when you become a part of the team, it's a little tease for next week, you start living a fulfilling life. And I wish it weren't true I wish, I wish this were not true, but statistics tell me that if you call True Life Church your home, but don't walk through these steps with us, somewhere between two and six months, we're going to lose you from our church. We don't want to. But statistics tell us that if people don't figure out how to become a part of the body, a part of the family, and find their place, that eventually Sunday morning's not enough. It's fun right now. It's the honeymoon phase. If you're new. The music's good. The preacher, you never know what he's going to say. He puts his foot in his mouth like every week. It's awesome. And it's true, I do. But after a while, that won't be good enough. You need to become a part of the family. Develop your gift. And number three, use your gift. Come on up here, somebody. Dan or whoever. Use your gift. Kind of a tease for next week, but it really is the ultimate way. To live your life. Because when you discover, develop, and use your gift. 
what you can start to do is, is live this way. I've got problems, but my life is full. It's not perfect, but it's full. It's not lacking anything. Many of us are filling our lives with stuff, and it's just empty. We can't figure out where that emptiness is coming from. And I've heard a lot of people preach salvation. Once you have salvation, it's a God-shaped hole in your heart. Okay, I get that. I do. But you really want to fill the hole? Find your gift. Get to work on something eternal. Fulfillment is in the moment where you use your gift in the context of the local church family. And can I just say this? Consumerism has no fulfillment. I'm going to go to this church for a few weeks. Oh, somebody did something I like. Time to go to this church. Eh, not so into the worship. Time to go to this church. It's like you're shopping for clothes, man. Going into the fitting room trying stuff. And I understand that there's a season if you don't have a church family, if you don't have a church home, where you got to find the place where you can fit. But eventually, you got to become a part of the family somewhere. And that might not be here. You know what? We're okay with that. I would love for it to be here. I hope that it can be. But if you don't like preachers who put their foot in their mouth all the time, this isn't going to work out for you. Because I will, I promise. Ask my wife joke in our house. Every morning I wake up, I just say, hey, baby, I'm sorry. Why? I don't know. I'm just covering it all right now. Sorry. First Peter 4.10, God has given gifts to each of you from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Manage them well so that God's generous generosity can flow through you. Hebrews 6.10, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you've shown him as you've helped his people and continue to help them. Let me sum it up this way. You want to know what your purpose is? You know what God put you on earth to do? You got to go through the process of fine-tuning it, but here it is. My purpose, in your notes, my purpose is to serve God by serving others. Serve God by serving others. And I just got to tell you, if your life is all about you, it's going to be empty. It doesn't matter who you are. Go through the process with us. Jump into life. Come, you don't even have to go in order. Come tonight. Meet some people. Come back to Life Track 101 next week. Find out what it means to be a part of the church family. Go through the process. Find out how to live a life close to God. Find out what your giftings are and how you can use them in the kingdom. And I promise you, here, here's what I say. Give us six months and call, run all the plays that we call for your life. Just, just try it for six months. And if you don't, find your life to be more fulfilling at the end of that six months than it is right now, I'll, I, we'll get my computer out, we'll Google every church in the city, we'll help you find the one that you ought to go to. But just try it. Just try it. I'm that confident in the plan. Try it. My purpose is to serve God by serving others. Would you close your eyes all across the room? Maybe you've been stuck at cup two. Trying to get free from your past. Can I tell you, one of the easiest things you can do to get free from your past is to take your eyes off of yourself and put your eyes on how you can begin to serve others and give all the credit to Jesus. There's freedom there. There's incredible freedom there. And it leads to a life of fulfillment. Maybe that's where you're stuck. I want to encourage you, make the move today. Let's move past the inferiority. Let's 
Let's get past the diversion. Because God wants you back on plan. He wants you back on plan.